Welcome, dear readers. You are listening to Time to Read, a Winnipeg Public Library podcast book club. We acknowledge and are grateful that we are on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Cree, and Dakota, as well as the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis homeland. Today, we're in the Louis Riel Library, named after the Métis leader, founder of Manitoba, and leader of the Red River and Northwest Resistances. We are all together again, sitting socially distanced and safe and thrilled to be all in the same room again. Yay! I think I can speak Yay! for us all yeah. when we say that. <laughs> in this episode, we will be discussing Tales of the City by Armistead Mopin, or Mopin, actually is how you pronounce it. I'm Kirsten, and I normally work at the Harvey Smith Library, and these days you might actually find me at the Louis Riel Library as one of the eight branches that is open to the public in a very limited way. Across the table from me is... Hello, I'm uh, Trevor, and I'm the Mrs. Madrigal of the Louis Riel Library. I'm happy to be here with my buds once again. And across the table from me is... Hi, I'm Dennis, and I normally work in the idea mill, and I have nothing clever to say. <laughs> and across the table from me is... Hi, I'm Erica. I'm normally at the Fort Gary Library, but I too am here at Louis Riel, helping out and very happy to be back with the public. And I guess if I was anybody from the Tales books... I'd probably be Marianne, um, <laughs> although I, was, I wish I was Michael, because Michael's awesome. Yes. A good book can carry me away from an ever-engined ordinary day, yeah. So keep it down, leave me alone, close the doors and turn off the phone, because all I Dear readers, we couldn't do this without you. We love receiving your questions and comments because they add so much to our own discussions. Let us know how you feel about the books we're reading by emailing us at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca or leaving a comment on our website, wpl-podcast.winnipeg.ca. Find out if your comments made it on air by subscribing to the Time to Read podcast on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and other fine podcasting services. We always end our podcast book club with our segment Nerd Words for Word Nerds, so be sure to stick around for that. In a minute, Erica is going to spoil everything by giving us a summary of Tales of the City, book one. But first, I have a bio of the author. Is it brief? It is. Uh, it's not brief. <laughs> well, no, it's not. <laughs> Seriously, very interesting writers we always choose. So this is Armiston Maupin. He's from North Carolina, so it's pronounced Maupin. Born 1944. He is the author of 11 novels, including the nine-volume Tales of the City series. He was raised in a very conservative home. His great-great-grandfather, Congressman Lawrence O'Brien Branch, was from North Carolina and a Confederate general during the American Civil War. From his Facebook page, he uh, just, I think about two weeks ago, he responded to a news item about the removal of a Confederate general statue in North Carolina. And he said, 
This memorial was the result of a campaign led by my great-grandmother, Mrs. Armistead Jones, who was the wife of a Confederate veteran and the daughter of Raleigh's only Confederate general, a man who had vehemently defended slavery on the floor of the U.S. Congress. The memorial had been standing since 1895 to remind Raleighites, both black and white, that fighting for slavery 30 years earlier had been a just and noble cause. He says, my heritage has a lot to answer for. Am I happy to see this happen? Goddamn right I am. Maupin said he knew he was gay since childhood, but he didn't have sexual relations until he was 26 and decided to come out in 1974 at the age of 30. Knowing he was gay from an early age, he remembers feeling there was every indication that I shouldn't be this thing. It was a sin a crime, and a mental illness. Maupin embraced his father's politics because, he says, I was terrified of who I was. And he became a highly successful young conservative. He said of himself in the late 1960s, I was very much the young Republican jerk. For his first writing job, Maupin worked at WRAL-TV in Raleigh, a station managed by future U.S. Republican Senator Jesse Helms who would go on to oppose anything liberal in the United States, including civil rights, gay rights, feminism, access to abortion, etc. Maupin said that he himself was a typical conservative and segregationist at the time, and he admired Helms as a sort of hero figure. Maupin later changed his opinion, obviously, and he condemned Helms at a gay pride parade. Maupin is a veteran of the United States Navy and served several tours of duty, including one in the Vietnam War. He explains that he set out for Vietnam to prove he was a man. He says, people were shocked to find out about my early connections. I know I was. I knew mm-hmm. nothing of this. Um, my early connections working for ultra-conservative Senator Jesse Helms and meeting Nixon in the Oval Office as a pro-war Vietnam veteran. But it was all part of my journey. Being gay liberated me from all sorts of shit. It sped up the process of wisdom. He has long made a distinction between his problematic biological family and his logical family, close friends and soulmates. In 2012, Maupin was the recipient of the Lambda Literary Foundation's Pioneer Award. And that is Armistead Maupin. Does he have a biography? Somewhere like he, that, he's written. Yes, he actually, um, it's called Logical Families. Oh, I'm gonna mm. yeah. I like that term. I like that term. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is an amazing life that I would not expecting from reading the book. No. <laughs> I know. I was, I, yeah, when I started doing researching this, I thought, oh my goodness, no idea, no idea. Fascinating. Yeah. And that thing that he said in response to the removal of the Confederate statue is interesting. I heard, I don't remember who it was, but it was a tweet that I heard about yesterday where it was somebody's, it was, he was the grandson mm. of whoever statue was being take, taken down. And he was like, yeah, this is fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's like, yep. Yeah, you know what? This needs to happen. Yeah. Like, go ahead. Absolutely. So. Yeah, and the fact that, yeah, with that particular thing, I mean, it was of his great-great-grandfather and his great-grandmother had been the one sort of spearheading, let's get this statue up. And yeah, uh, yeah, and he's like, take it down. Yeah. Sometimes your family's wrong. Yeah, he. there was also lots of talks. I guess he has, you know, a very Trump-supporting brother that he's just had to kind of cut ties with and but a sister with whom he still uh, connects with. So anyway, very uh, complicated, complex um, history. 
Plus the uh, pronunciation of his name threw me because I've been saying Mopan me in my too. head. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me, too, of the character Beecham in the story, mm. which, you know, his name is spelt so you'd pronounce it Beauchamp. And it's yeah. It, yeah. It, it's yeah. kind of funny how that works yeah. out. Uh, That's the southern, you know, because, yeah, I read somewhere it was Ma. M-A-W. Yeah, Maupin. Yeah. yeah, rather than Maupin. That's what I keep yeah. saying. That's what, sounds, that's what it looks like, especially to people who live in, in like a like a French, yeah. francophonish city. Although here like we are in place. Winnipeg, you know, and we have portage, not portage. Yeah. Right. And then the millions of ways people pronounce La Gimaudière. Oh, yes, yes, yes. La Gimaudière. Or Lage. Lage. Yeah, or uh, Notre Dame. Notre yes, Dame. or Lac, Lac de Bonnie. Yeah. Okay, so that was the, the biography <laughs> of Armistead Moffin. <laughs> and that wraps up the podcast. For um, so uh, we'll turn it over to Erica, who will yeah. give us a uh, synopsis. Sure. So this has been cobbled together from a few official blurbs. Uh, I didn't really change much other than sticking them together, because I, like, uh, I like to just use the official blurbs when, they, when I like them. So this is the first novel of the beloved Tales of the City series. San Francisco, 1976. A naive young secretary, fresh out of Cleveland, tumbles headlong into a brave new world of laundromat Lotharios, pot-growing landladies, cutthroat debutantes, and jockey shorts dance contests. (laughs) The Sega that ensues is manic, romantic, tawdry, touching, and outrageous. For almost four decades, Amistad Maupin's Tales of the City has blazed its own trail through popular culture. From a groundbreaking newspaper serial to a classic novel, to a television event that entranced millions around the world. The first of nine novels about the denizens of the now-mythic apartment house at 28 Barbary Lane, it's both a sparkling comedy of manners and an indelible portrait of an era that changed forever the way we live. Nice. Yes. Yes. So had anyone read it before? Nope. Seen the Netflix series? Nope. I've never heard of it before. Never heard of it. Yeah. No. For, uh, for me, like my, my history with this book and series goes right, right back to the early 90s when I was back when they called them pages at the library. I was a page <laughs> before they were shelvers. Now shelvers, you know, when you're a shelver, you say, well, what do you do at the library? Well, you shelve. Makes yeah. sense. But I kind of like the term page. There's something kind of mysterious uh, about it. You know what I got it, every time when I was a page? Yeah. They'd say, well, you know, what do you do? And I'd say, I'm a page at the library. And he's like, what book are you in? And I'm uh, like, oh, yeah. I like the fact sure. that it wasn't obvious what you did. It was kind of a mysterious. Yeah. It almost had ties like to a like general a general assistant. Yeah, like, or like a, like a medieval court. You know, <laughs> there, there were pages there or uh, something. Uh, yeah. But anyway, as I was a page then in mm-hmm. the shelver, uh, I was shelving, I came across these books. And I think it was in the early 90s. And I'm thinking now, looking back on it, it was right around the time that the first uh, Showtime uh, series came out. Right. Uh, because the covers of the books had pictures from a show, like they were actual actors. And I remember just, I was like, you know, 19 or something. And I would always come across these books, just look at the cover and thinking, this was like a really interesting series. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I should, you know, on one of these days, I'm going to read these, I think. And then, and that was like in 93. <laughs> Uh, and then it kind of slipped out of my mind and and lost into the mists of time until this month when mm-hmm. we we picked it and so uh so yes, I've had a long history with this book but I've only uh known it really for the last couple of weeks yeah uh, when I someone mentioned that a, there was a Netflix series I looked it up on Netflix and there are actually two series the more recent one and the one from 93 and the more recent one seems to be a coming back to Barbary Lane so I thought, well, I don't want to watch that until I finished it. But I watched some of the 93 series and it was very close to the source material. 
I thought the casting was amazing. Yeah. Laura Linney's in it, right? Yes. Yeah. And I Paul Gross. Her. Oh, yeah, I haven't. And, I haven't and they seen come it, back in so the yeah. in the new one too. And I, Olympia Dukakis. I'm too. definitely going to watch that too yeah. because it uh, it was a very well done series and helped flesh out some things from the book for me that uh, I always have trouble visualizing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it does a great job of giving you visuals. Mm-hmm. It's funny you should say that because I watched the first episode of the very first series too, just on Netflix, and uh, I was reminded of something that we talked about when we talked about the um, books to movies adaptations and how we don't sometimes like adaptations that are too faithful to the books. And I kind of felt this almost like it was like line for line. They lifted stuff from the novel because there's so many great lines in it. Why would you mess with success? But mm-hmm. uh, it, to me, it felt like, like I, I saw the first one and then my wife was wanting to watch more. And I said, you know what? You, you, you keep watching it and I'll, and I'll, I'll come in towards the end. Cause I don't, I don't think I need to see mm. episodes three, four and five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I came, you know, and, and then, uh, yeah, I was like, I just picked up and I, I knew exactly it. it so it was a very faithful, very well done. That's but the 93 version. That's the 93. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but yeah. So again, yeah. not something that I was happy to see it, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm glad I read the book and I didn't think I needed, it didn't show me anything more, but you, you, you it was fleshed out a bit for you, Dennis. For me, yeah, because seeing the characters embodied by actors that seem to like, you know, I don't know how I envisioned Norman, for example, but it was a lot schlumpier than <laughs> I had thought. And it kind of, I don't know, I was expecting Norman to be schlumpy the way I'm schlumpy. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they, they made him much schlumpier yeah. than that. Uh, and other th- things about it that just kind of tied in things that I missed when I was reading that made sense more in the visual sense, but that may just be the way that my brain works when I'm reading stuff. Yeah. Cause the way I visualized Norman, when I read, I just thought he would be more like almost like an ex kind of army guy. Cause he was in Vietnam and stuff. And I thought he was kind of, he just kind of like kind of gone to seed a little bit, but still like, like a tough guy. So then in the show, no, he's definitely schlubby. Yeah. I also love the, the actor that they got to play the person at the suicide hotline. Oh, Vincent. Yeah. It, uh, he, he brought that to life, uh, more for me too. Like, see, I miss those episodes. Uh, <laughs> I didn't watch them. Yeah. I, I, I've only seen a few of them, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Worth checking out if you like the book and you like the visuals. The- yeah. Like to, to just see the house as well. Yeah. 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 And it's totally the type of house that I would, love to live in yeah. you know with your logical family well read I love, some of I the just, like because i i had no idea what it was about right so but as soon as i read the synopsis for it yeah. i was totally on board because yeah. i like all my favorite books are about made families mm-hmm. and about like mm-hmm. people coming from everywhere and making a family together so if like if you want i have huge lists of these books <laughs> that are awesome <laughs> So, yeah, I was totally on board, and now I want to read them all. I was mentioning before before we started recording that my little iPad mini is so old it will no longer download ebooks. So I impulse bought it's like an omnibus edition, which has the first three books in the series, which is great because I've now read two of them, and I'm just about to start book three. Uh, and it's great. Like I, This isn't spoilery, but the book, book one kind of wraps up around Christmas Eve. And then the second book takes place, starts up on Valentine's Day. So about six weeks later, and then you catch up with all these characters and stuff. So it really just feels like a continuation of the story. Uh, and, and I, yeah, I love it. I'm like you, Eric. I'm going to just read all of them. I'm mm-hmm. just, I'm hooked now. You know, that's yeah. my summer. <laughs> yeah, I've def- definitely heard it described to as sort of like a, a soap opera almost yeah. mm-hmm. because you do get caught up in the characters yeah. and what they're, I mean, 
a groundbreaking soap opera yeah. because of the characters, the large yeah. number of LGBTQ um, characters, even though they're all white. Even, even the black the, character. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the token no, black character a, turns out to be Yeah, spoilers. I was like, is this even possible? Yeah, no I didn't. Idea. I was like, yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting too. And, and you know, um, you mentioned that this started off as a serial. And that's almost why um, I think he was able to kind of be just on it. It's so realistic in terms of like the hmm. the, the experiences and the different events because he was just writing it. Yeah. Like, like two five days, days be- no, like even less in the the in the back of the. I read the version that's on Libby. Yeah, and there's a thing at the end where he talks about having ri- written it, and he's literally pulling things out of his life. Oh yeah, like and barely making deadlines. Oh, like two days before it was appearing. <laughs> yeah, because oh. it was like so, five days a week, like South Park. Yeah, yeah, every day it was every day. Yeah, so, wow. Yeah, okay. yeah. So it, it's a there's a wonderful thing. It's kind of written by him, like as a ret- retrospective about what it was like to write it. Yeah, um, it's, it's also explains why. Every the chapters were all so short, yes. yeah. yeah, which made it very easy to pick up and read a few here, yes. read a few there, mm-hmm. and then sometimes get caught up. It's like, no, no, I got to keep going because yeah. this was a little too much of a cliffhanger here. Yeah. I can't yeah. just stop. Yeah, yeah, and that that's where you can just, tell too is a serial chapter. because it was yeah. like, oh, I want to, you know, can't mm-hmm. wait yeah. for tomorrow's. I love serials. Like, what a cool thing. Yeah, it's so great, and also the the fact that it was so like the immediacy of it, it was filled with a bunch of pop culture references that, that I did not get. Yeah. No. <laughs> like, so, like some have aged well and some have not at all. And, and I found yeah. in the early part of the reading that sometimes it would take me out of the story a little bit because like we're all library people and we're, we all like to like know things. Yeah. So I'll stop and like make a note and stuff. And then, but then I found either I really got into the story and I, I, I didn't let those pop culture references slow me down or maybe there was less of them as the story went along, but it was less and less of an issue to me mm. the further along. But like one of them, I just, I mean, I, I had to look up all these ones, like one, I'm just going to mention is Burt Parks. I had no idea who he was, but, but when when Michael's about to go off to that uh, pants off dance off, <laughs> and then Mona says, uh, "Oh, say hi to Burt Parks for me." Mm-hmm. Well, I had to look him up. Well, Burt Parks he hosted the Miss America pageant from 1955 oh. to 1979. So it's almost wow. like, yeah. and, and he's the one that made that song, "Here She Comes." Oh, Miss America. America. See, and, I knew yeah, this song. And, and he was fired suddenly in 1979, but he had the rights to the song, so he took the song with him. Oh. And he's like. He's like, screw you guys. I'm taking the song. And, and, you and, can and keep it. Bert. Yeah. And then apparently, like, people, <laughs> people were like sad to see him go and sad not to see the song. So the producers were trying to bring him back. And he's like, no, I'm not coming back. Nice. And, and then, uh, so the, one of the hosts, I think his name is John Davidson. Do you ever hear those shows like That's Incredible and yeah, Real People? Yeah. He was on that. And, and, and apparently, like, they wanted him to sing the song. He said, I'm not going to sing that lousy song for a million dollars. And uh, so he wouldn't sing it. But, oh, such uh, drama. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. that's why the pop culture references okay. now Burt Parks. I just, I loved it. I, I, did, so I was a whole rabbit hole about Miss America. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. The, yeah, I mean, I just ended up like, I think, just jumping over yeah. them, like, and yeah. not caring that much, oh. but also just, yeah, you know, the macrame or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lots of those. It's very evocative of the time. Yeah, it just really painted a picture, right? Well, and that's the thing. Like uh, when you're reading this, it really captures the late '70s in a very direct way. But because so much of it is referential, like for anyone reading contemporarily, which you know, Mm -hmm. that was how he was writing. He was expecting readers to read it right then. Mm -hmm. For anyone reading it right then, there's so much 
said and, you know, just using a name. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, that means a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, pr the way a person's dressing, they're dressed like so-and-so. And it's like, that really would have meant something at the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And he would have saved you like two paragraphs of description. Yeah. But for us reading in like, you know, yeah. 2020, it's like, um, that means nothing to me. I, I have no idea. I don't Every even know if that was a real person. Yeah. 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 Just exactly. made a character. Yeah. 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 I'm yeah. assuming it was all real people yeah. and all yeah. real references, yeah. but I don't know. Yeah. And, 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 and I feel like some, there were a lot of subtleties that could have gotten missed there and mm. I just there were so many of them you there's no back. way to go back to oh you need it. like yeah. an annotated one right? oh, yeah, 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 yeah. like the old Shakespeare's so yeah. 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 like the marginalia in the margin you can and, know what he's and that's, though, and that's the nature somewhere. of pop culture right like it's yeah. kind of fleeting and ephemeral and not a lot of it's going to be around you know it's almost like like you say like reading Shakespeare there are things that when you read Shakespeare as like a high school student trying to figure it out you're like what does this mean but when it was presented like everyone in the audience we were getting like the in jokes and everything and it was like super relevant and super timely mm -hmm. but we read it now and we're like oh, this is so hard you and miss all these like double entendres yeah. and stuff like that and that was you know 400 years ago we're only talking about 40 years ago <laughs> yeah. now yeah. and there's all these references yeah. but well, it's, pop culture changes is like yeah. in yeah. a month yeah exactly so yeah i do feel though like if you were there at the time you know reading it now would be like oh yeah oh yeah. 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 Mm. yeah so for the purpose of capturing a time i think it, it was amazing but i just feel like yeah i couldn't experience yeah. all of the yeah. it, that it had to offer yeah you do I feel know. like you're missing something it's almost like eating but. a really really delicious meal but when you have a head cold <laughs> yeah, and, you're, and, you're, and you're like it's like I, the texture i can feel the this texture i imagine this probably tastes amazing <laughs> you know uh, but i'm not getting it at all yes you know yeah. That's, that's kind yeah. of what it's like. Got to eat it later. But, You'd yeah. have to yeah. read it with like Wikipedia open. <laughs> totally. there, and that's what so bogged that me can, down at the beginning. Yeah. You know? yes. or, or you need to read it with a hippie from oh, that's the true. 70s. With, a, with an older friend. Yeah. Who can yeah. say, oh yeah, man. That's <laughs> yeah. He uses the term far out. Let me explain lot. this to you. <laughs> um, and another thing that I read about him putting this in the daily newspaper and, and having the, the, the content that it was for the time his editors actually asked that he keep track of the characters in a column so straight and gay oh. and because there could never be more gay than straight characters oh really yeah wow yeah, they he were, says that in that yeah piece they that were I read very well. yeah. yeah you know they they seemed because uh, i mean he was able to write about all sorts of things and you know we only read the first book but yeah. you know i know the series was like the first that um talked about the aids epidemic i had the first transgender character it had this whole dear mama where michael comes out to his mum and um who happens to, this is i think in the second book yeah i, I don't i don't remember sorry. that from this one spoiler i know i'm nervous about a particular spoiler that kirsten is dancing around but but having said that uh i actually wanted to read out that letter that okay. michael wrote to his mom but i don't know it's kind of it's like a page in a bit it's it's an amazing letter yeah uh, but i don't know i, I have it here post we'll it on the show notes. yeah maybe yeah let's do it that way it's great yeah, yeah. Long, I mean, are you gonna quote from it there it, well book well, two everybody so don't listen to this if you don't haven't read book two <laughs> what's interesting is so i guess like michael um his mom is you know off in florida crusading with uh, Anita Bryant, who, you know, is a total, like, anti-gay. Another pop culture reference. I know, I, I know. I seem to, I do remember that name. I love that before, I just love when Michael was talking about his parents being, like, uh, citrus farmers and saying, like, they're always, they're always around fruits, but they didn't know I was gay or something. Like, <laughs> like, like just like all the little one-liners, like, you know? Oh, yeah, it's so great. great. 
yeah. great character. But what I think is super interesting with this Dear Mama letter is that it has been used as a, t- and it was used for Maupin as sort of his coming out too. And lots of men at that time were using it as their template oh to gosh. come out. Oh, I wow. read an article um, about somebody who said that, who said, you know, lots of people did this, including me. And wow. um, yeah, I have a, like a short yeah, it's excerpt. Like, I mean, when I read it, I had to read it out loud to Marla. I was like, you yeah. guys hear this letter that yeah. Michael writes to his parents. So. This is just, this is just, just a short part of it. But being gay has taught me tolerance, compassion, and humility. It has shown me limitless possibilities of living. It has given me people whose passion and kindness and sensitivity have provided a constant source of strength. It has brought me into the family of man, Mama, and I like it here. I like it. Mm-hmm. Just even as I read that out, I feel like I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to have to contemplate that. It's probably like seeped into yeah, the general consciousness. Things, the- yeah. Sometimes yeah. a book is really influential and in ways that you don't recognize at, because by the time you find out what the source is, mm-hmm. you've already heard it in different ways in different places. It's kind of like why, you know, when you listen to the Beatles now, mm. like for me, I, you know, when I listen to the Beatles, I don't hear anything spectacular, but that's because pop music after the Beatles was so heavily influenced by them that I've heard those things mm-hmm. a thousand times by other artists who were inspired by them. Mm-hmm. And it kind of feels like maybe this is the type of thing that inspired so many people that by the time you find the source, yeah. you know, I it's, had a it's familiar. conversation like that about Tolkien with somebody was, I was trying to get them to read Lord of the Rings and they're like, oh no, but I've read all that kind of stuff before. And I'm like, okay, but this was the first one. (laughs) So no, you haven't. (laughs) uh, Let the record reflect. I actually have a little note uh, in in my book where the letter starts. So I actually have it marked It's yeah. So it's definitely, I recommend people reading it because it, yeah, it's probably one of the best things I've read in a long time. That thing you were saying too, about how we had to keep track of how many characters were gay and how many were straight, a, a quota reminded like, just relevant to what's happened recently. Uh, did you see that video from Hal Johnson of Body oh, Break, yeah. mm-hmm. where he was talking about why uh, why they made Body Break the way they did? And one of the reasons was when he tried to get a job at TSN as a sportscaster, and he had, he got hired, but then he got fired a few hours later because uh, the you know management said, "Well, we already have a black reporter," uh, and they oh. they didn't want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, that's, it's a thing. It's a big thing. Yeah. 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 It's kind of amazing. Um, how many stories like that are coming out right now? Yeah. On social media and, and elsewhere. Um, yeah, I did want to actually just sort of reference the spoiler that comes up in book two. I'm not going to say who, but yeah, I mean, I did just say that there is a character that is, it's revealed that they are transgender. And so it was the first transgender character. And uh, so that was very groundbreaking of the time. Is it one of the characters we've already met? I, I won't say anything. You said too much already. Thought, you said too much already. Oh, yeah. I thought I was the only no, one that like, didn't no, know it. I know. No, now that I know that none of you actually know, I'm not going to say. Oh, thank but the Lord. Really, and then just don't read anything else about this series because in a lot of the articles, they just say, does they it, talk about it. Does it come up in the 2019 Netflix thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, so now I have to okay, read yeah. the whole yeah, rest yeah. of the well, series yeah. before and, I watch it. And, and here's okay. just a little blurb is if you do read the second book, there is a cannibalistic, uh, Episcopalian, uh, death cult, uh, 
uh, that's not going to draw you into the next book. (laughs) Well, that and the reveal, right? But I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, when this other 2019 version was made, Maupin did really speak about he really wanted to have more transgender folks in this new series. And he said, actually, it's sort of surprising, because right now, transgender are taking what he's saying, a lot of the brunt these days, there's just so much anti oppression and, and bias and discrimination against them. And he says, I mean, that's sort of ironic, because it was the trans folks at Compton's cafeteria and at Stonewall, who sort of, you know, threw the first brick and began a lot of this, uh, a lot of these um, changes in society, although the changes are so slow uh, to come. And um, he was saying it's high time that we got around to taking up the fight for our trans brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really, really good reminder because we have been hearing so much anti-trans talk and some of it is a lack of education, a lack of knowledge. Some of it is just total discrimination and bias, but, um, and it's steeped in our institutions, in our own institution. And so there's a lot of really important learning that we need to do to, first of all, to recognize it, and then to stop the discrimination, things like misgendering. You know, I know it's super yeah. confusing. I think sometimes for folks, they're like, well, I don't, you know, what if I don't know? I don't want to make a mistake. Well, just don't gender people, <laughs> you know? Well, exactly. Like, yeah. you I don't mean, have to say sir. You don't have to say ma'am. Just, and kind use of, they, the I kind pronoun. of wish we could skip ahead because, yeah, we're like right now we're in this place where even those of us who want to try really hard to be inclusive feel a little awkward about it using gender neutral pronouns and stuff. But like, say, even in my, in my own life, I've had two people in the last year come out as non-binary mm. and so even then like i'm just talking about them with my husband and i'm not sure how to refer to them right and sometimes they'll, they'll like they'll tell you what they prefer but then also what, how do you refer to them when like say like five years ago when mm. they were when they weren't out right and they were still presenting as a woman or as a man or whoever it was so it's yeah it's it's really hard but like as hard as it is for us yes that doesn't really matter. Exactly. Ultimately, yeah. that's yeah. our that's our that's our problem yeah. Yeah. because they are just trying to be who they are. And like, and it's really amazing. Every time somebody comes out like that, the first few times you see them, it's kind of like awkward or whatever. But it also like it makes well, at least for me, it makes me think more about who I am mm-hmm. and what kind of parts of myself I am hiding. And would it be so bad for me to? be myself or feel like I could be myself, mm-hmm. even if other people don't like it or if it makes them uncomfortable until they get used to it. So right. Right. it's, I mean, like, like a lot of growth, it can be painful or weird, but you have to keep growing. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And I mean, I, and I've read so much about how something like misgendering is really seen, like Laverne Cox said mm-hmm. this, she's the, um, the actor from uh, Orange is the New Black. And um, she also played uh, Dr. Frankenfurter in the live uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay. Uh, the first trans Amazing. actor that actually played uh, the trans, yeah. character, like the Tim Curry character. Well, and because she, she really speaks about the whole act of misgendering as being a violent act. And so uh, all of these microaggressions that sort of keep piling up, it really uh, can be felt as, as a violent act. So I think it's, uh, 
Anyway, we've just seen this in the news lately and in our own city with attacks, uh, you know, on a trans woman at in the mall. And, mm. you know, so I, I think this is um, I just really wanted to just bring it up and speak of it and acknowledge. I guess we often acknowledge this, acknowledge that we are, well, certainly four white people sitting around the table. Mm-hmm. I know I'm cisgender, but, you know, perhaps, yeah. you know, but we we don't necessarily speak you know, and can't speak for or from that perspective. But I know I'm really committed to learning more and more and more. Yeah. And I find that I actually just use the they pronoun quite often now. Just, That's, I mean, just generally. Just do that. Like, yeah. I know it was very like strange for me when that became a thing first, because it just sort of like grammatically, I'm like, oh, does that work? And then, and then after you just, it's a gay and used to phase. And, and then mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, okay, now I can, I can use that without it being without me tripping up over it too much yeah. but you're right it's it's, yeah. it's a it's a there's gonna be a like a learning curve and and we being respectful and making sure that we provide safe spaces and and that's what was nice about 28 barbary lane is that felt like a safe space for mm-hmm. all these people with all of their backgrounds they're able to come and one of my favorite lines is when marianne moves in and she says uh, mrs madrigal do you object to pets She's like, my dear, I don't object to anything. <laughs> I was like, oh, I that's, love that's, her. I yeah, want to yeah, be yeah, 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 yeah. And I so, want, just to I have want a magical, like so yeah. you can be my magical. Yeah, yeah. Can, can we talk about the characters for a bit? Because there were so many great characters. Oh, like, my gosh. The thing that got me about Mrs. Madrigal was she had a past. She didn't want you to know what the past was. But she did want you to know she had it. Yeah. She was constantly yeah. alluding to it, yeah. but not letting you know what it was because she fashion. wanted you to wonder. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, you know, that was part of what made the climax so dangerous and startling. It's like, yeah. oh. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Here's here's the thing. And She's in, a murderer. Well, we don't we don't know <laughs> because yeah. Marianne burned it without reading yeah. it. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean that's quite a testament to Marianne's uh, loyalty to Mrs. Madrigal. That you know, even I mean. Wouldn't you accidentally glance at a few lines? <laughs> she's, you yeah, she's replacing it in the fire. Yeah, yeah. But, but no, she's like, don't. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, wow, that that was quite. And I guess, yeah, I guess you're not going to spoil whether that comes up in book two or not. I can't say. I we can't also say. thought about, about, because they said Anna Madrigal was an anagram. So I thought yeah. of trying to like play with that. I'm like, no, I'm just going to let I, it be. I will say that the anagram is revealed in book two. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying anything else. I said too much. Two. I said too much. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, You're the one that said. I love a good name anagram. I'm gonna, gonna have to read book two. Yeah, and yeah. and Michael. Now that you know, after reading, hearing the biography, it kind of feels like Michael is maybe a bit of an analog for the author, yeah. or derives a lot from him mm-hmm. because of the you know the backstory, being a virgin essentially until adulthood, mm-hmm. uh, not showing any interest in that as a young person. Because Michael was an awesome character. Yeah. Right? yeah. With a great name. Michael Tolliver is an amazing name. <laughs> yeah. Love a good name. <laughs> but I just loved how friendly and like he was a good friend to the people around he him. Mean, mm-hmm. Everybody's friend. He just yeah. wants to be loved. Yeah. He's Even like his very first appearance in the Safeway, you know, where he's there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so great. You know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Marianne, she's like hitting on mortified. Robert. And then Robert turns out to be with Michael. Well, it was very, it was very Winnipeg, wasn't it? Yeah. Like how everybody was like connected to everybody yeah. in a yeah. million different ways and all they had to do was talk about it to figure it out. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, oh, you know that, so that person from this totally different oh, context. That's my yeah. gynecologist. <laughs> 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 or your wife is a patient of mine. Turns yeah. Out. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or your boss who just fired you is the person I'm now dating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
who, I mean, who, used, who was a very hardcore Republican and is now really loosening up now that he knows he's dying. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if, our, if, uh, if uh, Armistead um, opens Ed or wanted him to keep a list of who's like straight and who's gay, obviously he probably also had to keep a list of who's connected to who. It's probably like this yeah, weird yeah. flow chart of trying to yeah, figure no, out. With exactly. the red string, yeah, right? yeah, totally. Connecting all the connections. Yeah, yeah, yeah like exactly. Like a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. Detective yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. What a great thing. Now I'm just going to say, too, there's a shocking death in book two. Stop I'm not, it. Stop, stop, it. <laughs> stop it. Yeah, really. <laughs> shocking death of one of the characters we already know. Oh, <gasps> you're we so just had this mean. huge conversation before we started so the podcast. I am the I just mean, like, like, I'm the like five cliffhangers that yeah. I cannot. I was scolding Chris ahead of time. Like, let's not have so any spoilers. Mean. And here, yeah. look at me being all teasy and stuff. <laughs> look at yeah. me. Look at you. The big spoiler tease. Oh, don't listen to me. You'll have to read it yourself. You're, yeah, he could be you're lying. such a drama queen. <laughs> <laughs> he could be lying about the whole thing just to drive us wow. crazy. Yeah. I'm, I'm two books in, and I'm going to be nine books in before the summer's out. That's my pledge to you Can and you to all, all our listeners. It's, hmm. a, it's a good summer read, I thought, because it is so... And it's like, San Francisco. It's, it's summer easy. Yeah. You know, it's not... But here's right. the question, though, first, Trevor. What do we get if you don't finish all nine? Because you've made a pledge, but there has to be some sort of repercussions. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, what for do, breaking what do you, the pledge, I see. Like, if I like, if you what, don't make it, hmm. what do we get? Let me think about that. We'll, we'll, your, we'll provide that in the show penance. notes. I'll, I'll think about okay. that. I, don't I, know. I think some rice aroni would be appropriate. <laughs> 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 Has anyone been to San Francisco? I've yes. always wanted to. I've go. I've never been, but now I want to go. I've uh, been twice, three times. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been once for about a month. Oh, that's yeah. nice. How come for so long? He can't for say. a reason that I am not going to reveal, and I'm going to keep deliberately mysterious. It's his mysterious oh. past. It's his okay. mysterious past. But here's a funny, funny story out of that. Um, my wife and I went there for a specific reason, which I'm not mentioning. Mm, smart. So we were not there because of the place or the time. So we weren't really paying attention to a lot of that. We did try to see some sites because you're in San Francisco. Mm. Why not? But... Uh, we were so oblivious to the place in time. This was uh, 2008 in early November. And one night we're in our hotel in the, the Tenderloin, like our north end. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a very rundown area with more, most of the homeless people are around. Uh, so it's kind of a rough spot, but near the heart of the city, mm-hmm. right? A really interesting place. And all of a sudden we heard shouting, really, really loud shouting. And that shouting was... Obama won! Oh, Obama yeah. won! <laughs> Obama won! Oh my and it continued, it was election night. Oh and my god. We were just out of the loop and all of a sudden, oh the shouting, I've never seen this in my life. And we went out onto the street and people were streaming to a wow. big square oh. where a lot of political rallies and other yeah. things happened there. And you've never seen a population so jubilant oh, about the result of an election as wow. that moment. And it will forever live in my mind as, the, as San Francisco. <laughs> what an experience. I had a, uh, a negative version of kind of of that, of like being in a place at a time. We were taking our honeymoon in April 2010. And part of our gift from some family members was a short cruise out of New Orleans. So mm-hmm. we were in the Gulf of Mexico when the oil rig exploded. Oh. And so, and not really in communication. So all we really could tell was it got very cloudy and like hazy smoky. Mm. And they, at the end of the thing, they had to book it back to New Orleans. And so it was a choppy overnight 
because if they didn't make it before the oil spill and the fire. So, but at the time, like, you're just like, whatever. Yeah. Like, you don't know. Yeah. You don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And you've never been there. You don't know what the weather's supposed to be. And like, yeah. And yeah. you're like recovering from the like trauma of having a wedding. <laughs> and like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, Aww. yeah. So, like, so, but now, you know, like when I read about it and stuff, I'm like, I was there. Like, that is so <laughs> weird. Yeah. To kind of be part of something and not really part of something and have it happening around you. Right. And to like a lesser extent, yesterday I was going to, to bed and our window looks towards downtown. And there was this huge light. And I was like, what is that light? So I'm like, I hope it's not like a fire downtown or something. This, But we look it up. And yeah, well, there was like a, a, an apartment fire. But the mm. light was must have been from their work light. Right. Because they were still cleaning up. And it wasn't a big one or whatever. Yeah. But it's just life just finds you. Yeah. Right? When you're yeah. just mm-hmm. minding your own business. Yeah. And then like something crazy happens. Yeah. It's Well, and this is the type of thing. Well, on more of a social level that, I mean, Maupin would have taken and then thrown into his stories. And yeah, yeah, which just added to that sort of sense of realism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I have a feeling too, like as the books go on, uh, you know, he'll bring us into the eighties. And then, so then all the references will be a little more familiar, you know, as we go along too. For us, for us older millennials. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. We'll get to a point where like, oh yeah, I actually remember that happening or something. (laughs) Yeah. Or exennials or whatever. I, am. Mm. I don't even know. Here's a comment about the Tales of the City book. It's from Amy, who we haven't heard from in quite a long time, but we're thrilled to have heard from her again. So this is her comment. Hello. Sorry for falling off the map. I'm still reading and listening, even if I can't always send comments in on time. I loved this month's book. I had never heard of it and was engrossed with all the characters. While I didn't relate to any of them, I sympathized with almost all of them, and I certainly want to find out more about the venerable landlady, Mrs. Madrigal. However, nine more books is a lot to commit to. Keep up the good work, and it's great to hear so much more from Dennis. Amy. Thanks, Amy. Again, we're so glad to uh, have heard from you again. And please, anyone listening, you're welcome to send us an email whenever you feel so inclined. We always love hearing from our listeners. Thanks. Well, I guess, I mean, we're sort of getting sort of close to the end of talking about the book, but one of our questions was also about what other books you kind of, uh, like as we celebrate Pride Month and we chose this book because it was Pride Month, what books you recommend that ex- also explore some of these LGBTQ plus themes? Does anybody? I have, I have a question about that question. Yeah. Now, is this rep, uh, replacing our tell me about another no, book I want? Or no. just, so this is, you're sneaking in another book wreck yeah. in the so there's, Yeah, okay. well, it was just like, you know. I, I just, have two, but yeah, I just wasn't okay. sure. I just now that dawned on me, like yeah, maybe no, this is our I way mean, of doing it. You know, we're a library book club podcast, so the more books Let's we talk, talk about, about, the better. I'm happy to talk about two things. <laughs> Does anybody have? I have, uh, I have one, and I kind of like, I liked it because it, I mean, I'm going to say Jeanette Winterson as well. It's just a general thing. But I really liked Adult Onset by Anne-Marie McDonald oh. because it's about a same-sex couple. They're mm-hmm. married, and they have one child, and they're, and now they have a second child. And for me, it was really interesting, one, because the fact that they are women who are married wasn't like the struggle of the book. It was just a fact of their life. Yeah. And it was more about one of the ladies coming to terms with motherhood because she was the stay-at-home parent. 
and her struggle with that and like, you know, physical and emotional um, side of that. So that's what really resonated with me was that it was a character that had a different sort of like sexuality than me, but I could totally see myself in as a human being. So I, yeah. Yeah. And then I also want to say just to plug that I did a little bit of a a book list on a a nonfiction info guide for like pleasure reading uh, nonfiction that's going to be coming out soon on our website. So I'm going to try to to keep up that um, the staff pride picks there. So you could always check out there. uh, I'm going to keep that up for another month or so. Yeah. I mean, Um, people should really check those info guides out. They are stellar. I hear the fake news one is excellent. Oh, you would. (laughs) You would like that. Almost as good as the nonfiction. It is his guide. Almost as good as the nonfiction one. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. I'll give you that. You'll see when it comes out. Well, and if we're doing plugs, actually, maybe I'll just plug... um, I'm not doing an info guide, actually, (laughs) but um, just in terms of like recommendations of books that are exploring um, sort of queer themes. My son Isaac and I did a little uh, video um, where we talk about a little mother-son book recommendations, and Isaac has a few, and I have a few, so... Check it out. It's on our YouTube channel, which um, really, yeah, we should just keep telling people. Yeah. Go and subscribe. There's so much on there. Yeah, there's story times um, up there. Yeah, for there's adults, for kids. kids there's songs. crafts. Yeah, all and, sorts of uh, things. And so. I, we should also thank Isaac because this was his one of his suggestions for our pick, right? Yeah, yeah. When we were sort of talking about what, what to choose and he read the whole series a few years ago. Nice. And, um, and then he was just really into the, the, the latest, um, show as well and was talking about so, it a thank lot. You. So yeah, mm. thanks, Isaac. Do you, do, any other sort of? I, well, I, I had, um, a book that I just was, I just mentioned is, uh, an author that we all know and love, uh, Rainbow Rowell. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Her first graphic novel, actually, is called Pumpkinheads. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's written for Marvel Comics for Runaways and stuff. But this is her first actual story that the characters and everything are her own. An illustrator's Faith Aaron Hicks. And the whole idea of this graphic novel is that these two uh, high school kids, Deja and Josiah, they work in a pumpkin patch just outside Omaha, Nebraska. And it's like one of those fall fair things that opens like in September and then always closes on Halloween. And so every year they say their goodbyes on Halloween and then they say, we'll see you next, next September. Uh, but this year they're seniors in high school. So they know this when they say goodbye on Halloween, this will be it because who knows what the future will bring. And so the whole graphic novel just takes place over the one night over Halloween and, uh, Deja, who's kind of maybe more of the, the rebel and, uh, and Josiah is more of a straight lace guy. She convinces him to just abandon his post at the succotash hut and just enjoy everything that the pumpkin patch has to offer that night. And they go on a real adventure. <laughs> and what I like about it too is similar to what you said, Erica, is that, uh, throughout the course of the story and the dialogue you discover that deja is by but it's not a big it's not the story doesn't revolve around that it's not a big plot point it's just it just comes out that's that's the you know with her past relationships and then the way it's drawn she's also a person of color and again not made reference to but it's it's part of the story part of who she is and it's it got all the great humor, all the great pop culture references that you'd expect from Rainbow Roll, and uh, it's super fun. It's called yeah. Pumpkinheads. Yeah, it's it's so like all the choices now. Like, I mean, this book when it came out in the seventies, you know, it was 
I keep saying groundbreaking, but it was really sort of one of, one of a kind uh, for the time. And now we have so many choices. And, you know, Isaac's dad is gay, came out. And so as Isaac was little, you know, my mom was trying to find, you know, books that could sort of, you know, talk to Isaac about his gay dad. And there really wasn't a lot out there. Isaac's 23 now. And, you know, there's so there are so many children's books, young, uh, young adult graphic novels, uh, yeah. like all sorts. But I just remember we my mom could only find daddy's roommate hmm. the book i don't know if you've seen it and it's just i mean it was groundbreaking for the time too but it was just so sort of stereotypical you know i remember reading it almost used like clip art like it was kind yeah, of like it like, wasn't was, yeah. yeah yeah and you know the singing around the singing show tunes around, around the the piano and things but um so it's it's kind of amazing like in sort of really 20 years or mm-hmm. like less um you know just how much there is available and if you are wanting to search for those books as well if you uh, go to the catalog and and you just put in uh, LGBTQ, that will bring up all of our queer books um, yep. in the catalog. So it Good makes tip. it sort of, yeah, easy, easy to find. All right. So I would say uh, we all enjoyed this book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Oh, yeah. So maybe, yeah. I want we'll... to go to there. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, I, want to live, the, the, I want to live with Michael. And but just, the street like, doesn't exist. I know. I, but I, there, I want to go to there. There is a street called Macandre Lane in San Francisco, which was uh, the basis for Barbary Lane. And let me tell you, I visited it on Google Street View. Of course you did. <laughs> of course you did. And how did it look? It's great. It looks okay. exactly. I, I kind of made a mistake as I went down like a back lane first it was just oh. all with, like garbage cans and i was saying tomorrow i was like this like what this is what it looks like and she goes well you're reading about something how it was in the 70s maybe this is how maybe it looks now and i was crushed and i realized i was i was like a street over uh. and then i got down the proper street and it looks exactly how you imagine and it's great so i encourage everyone to look for macandre lane m-a-c-o-n-d-r-a-y lane in san francisco google street view and just take it's only a two block little lane just stroll up and down a couple of times you'll get the one experience of a woman that doesn't have any legs, as you know, because of the way the Google Street View works. <laughs> oh. And then you turn around, you turn around and look, and thankfully the legs are there. But okay. if, if you're looking for a bit of excitement, you just go right down there and right back up, and okay. legs one way, no legs the other. <laughs> oh, okay. Google Street View. <laughs> okay, well, uh, this brings us now to uh, our actual book recommendation section uh, of our podcast book club. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me a book that you might also like if you liked this or tell me a book you maybe also read after you read, uh, read this one. Erica? Yeah, I would love to go first. When I was reading it, the author that it most reminded me of was Alexander McCall Smith. Not for any sort of LGBTQ plus content, unfortunately, but in the type of story that it was and the way that it was written and the way that it kind of flows. So I would like to recommend 44 Scotland Street by Alexander McCall Smith. Uh, I had first read McCall Smith when I picked up the number one ladies detective agency, which might be the one that he's most known for. And that's uh, the first book in a series that I adore and which I will be forever grateful for because it introduced me to Red Bush tea, mm-hmm. which I drink every night. Oh. So anyway, but 44 Scotland Street is also the first of a series and like Tales was originally written as a serial, so it reads in a very similar way. And it's about 20-year-old Pat who rents a room from handsome and cocky Bruce, and she inherits some delightfully colorful neighbors, uh, Domenica, an insightful and eccentric widow, Bertie, a five-year-old who's mastered both saxophone and Italian, and Irene, his overbearing mother. 
Pat's new job at a gallery seems easy enough. I guess kind of like Marianne's. Her boss spends <laughs> most of his time drinking coffee in a local cafe and discussing matters great and small. And Pat's duties are light. That is until she realizes that one of their many paintings may be an undiscovered work of a renowned Scottish artist. And she discovers that one of their customers may be in on the secret. Add to this a fancy ball, love triangles, and an encounter with a famous crime writer. And you have Alexander McCall Smith's entertaining and humorous portrait of Edinburgh Society. So that's a great recommendation. I think you'll like it. Yeah. So I, I'll go next. Sure. Uh, if you enjoyed the story of a group of quirky, diverse individuals that managed to be a kind of family, but wish it had been set in space. Because <laughs> who doesn't? Space makes everything I do. better. I do. Make, makes of everything you better. Do. My favorite book of all time is about that. Yeah. Um, but you might also enjoy The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. Uh, my favorite by, book of all time. By Becky Chambers. Thank you. Uh, this is one that we have covered before on the podcast, so you yes. can go back into our archives and listen. Uh, so I'll keep the description short. It's a story that follows the adventures of the crew of a tunneling ship named Wayfarer as it travels a long way for a particular mission. The characters are all interesting, diverse, and their development is a joy to follow. Wow. Yay! <laughs> Wasn't it? I also, didn't even think of that, but yes, that it's is a space opera, uh, space soap opera. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, right? too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah it's it's but much more about opera. the characters than about the adventure. Yes. And, uh, and there's a same-sex couple in there, and the, the author and non-binary too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and interspecies relationship. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. 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 <laughs> is right. not really what we're talking about yeah. today, <laughs> but still, yeah, yeah. It's, it's got a lot, a lot to offer, and it's a fun read. Yeah, plus Doctor Chef. Yes. Yeah. Like Dr. Chef is And the a couple best. other books in that series, which are totally different in yeah. tone and structure, but also excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, if you're like me and you're reading Tales uh, of the City and you said to yourself, where are the show tunes? Oh, <laughs> then let me, let me recommend Rent, a Broadway yeah. musical by Jonathan Larson. Rent tells the story of a group of impoverished artists, many who identify with the LGBTQ community. But instead of uh, Russian Hill in San Francisco, they live in Lower Manhattan's East Village in the shadow of HIV and AIDS in the 80s. The story behind the musical is quite interesting in that the composer, Jonathan Larson, died of a heart attack the night before its off-Broadway opening in 1996. And posthumously, he won three Tony Awards and the Pulitzer Prize for drama for, for Rent. It's based loosely on Puccini's opera La Boheme. And it was made into a movie in 2005 with the original Broadway cast, with the exception of the actor that played Mimi. Uh, she couldn't return, so they got Rosario Dawson to play her. Oh. And then when it had its last Broadway performance in 2008, it was live streamed in movie theaters. And guess where this guy was? <laughs> in a movie theater. I also have it on a DVD wow. and movie. And uh, I love it. I mean, it's a musical that I think maybe has to grow on you. Like the first couple of times I heard it, the songs aren't like super catchy right away. But uh, if you listen to it, listen to it, 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 it's some really, really great moments. And again, it's, it's a family made up of, it's a logical family, not a mm. biological family. All these characters interrelated. And it's fantastic. Uh, so I recommend Rent by Jonathan Larson. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some good recommendations. Okay. My recommendation is for Vivek Shreya. I will have one book of theirs, but um, I just want to recommend Vivek Shreya. Uh, so... She is a 
trans, gender queer, person of color. She's a writer. Uh, she's a musician. She's a filmmaker. She's also assistant prof at UFC's creative writing program. So it, she tackles a lot of these kind of issues, but current. So very, very prolific. She has also written a graphic novel called Death Threat, which is mm. what it, it's about what it sounds like. Um, she's written a collection of essays, I'm Afraid of Men, also very much drawing on sort of the realism of... That's on my book list. Okay, yeah, it's very good. <laughs> she's written some short stories about life as a child of Indian immigrants in Canada called God Loves Hair. She's written a YA novel uh, that interweaves a story of Hindu deities with a queer boy growing up in Canada called She of the Mountains. Uh, she's written a children's book, The Boy in the Bindi, about a boy who's obsessed with his mother's bindi and then the experiences that he has when he wears one. And then her latest, it's called Subtweet. Um, it's about friendship and social media. And um, I saw her do this um, virtual release of the book. And I was just super intrigued by the whole premise where it's because she really wanted to write about not the idea of falling in love, because everyone writes about that, but falling in friendship, um, which can be just as captivating. So I loved that. But my recommendation is her book of poetry called Even This Page is White, which explores racism and colonialism in Canada, living as a person of color um, in this white dominated space. And then plus then that intersectionality that occurs when you're also living as this genderqueer person. Mm -hmm. So and I always just love to recommend some poetry. So and yeah. it's very accessible and just but everything that she's written really really strong and i encourage everybody to read vivek shreya yay all right okay yes i can't just rest back because i am the host today so <laughs> that was excellent now we are going to go into our last segment called nerd word for word nerds which doesn't have to have anything to do with the book just whatever's been what it what are we supposed to say tickling your tongue this mm. past month <laughs> Trevor oh, what's been tickling your tongue I don't think that was in the script but I'm happy to go first <laughs> I know it wasn't go for it. my nerd word is kintsugi uh it's a japanese word and it's the art of repairing broken pottery with lacquer mixed with powdered gold, silver, or platinum. So hmm. if you've ever seen like a piece of pottery that's been reassembled and all the cracks have gold or silver in it. And as a philosophy, it's related to the Japanese idea of wabi-sabi, which is an embracing of the flawed or the imperfect. And it made me think of that line from the Leonard Cohen song, there's a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. And so just, you know, in this recent months, we've seen our world, our city, our library system tested and broken by the pandemic, the acknowledgement of racism and homophobia in our society and our institutions. And so with the idea of Kintsugi, it says that we recognize we're going to take ownership of these things and that whatever we do to rebuild our society, it can, it can be beautiful. It can be broken, but it can be beautiful. And I've noticed that this past few days where we've reopened our libraries for holds pickup and returns and reference and just the, like the seeing our customers again and seeing how like a, a grateful, like, Oh, we're so glad the library's open. We missed you. And, and I can say to them, I can speak for myself is that the feeling is mutual. It's so great to, I mean, we are a public library. We serve people. And these last three months have been weird 
because we have been serving them, but indirectly, and we haven't seen them. So just to see people's faces and coming, and I mean, yeah, we're not fully functioning yet. We're we're kind of like a Dr. Frankenstein trying to revive a, a monster, although... I'm not saying our library system's a monster. We're a friendly monster, like like Grover. It's like a Grover that we're trying to bring back but to life. It is cobbled together right It's cobbled together. I have a great staff, uh, but only two of them are actually Louis Riel's staff permanently, but we've thrown together this crack team of people. Everyone's chipping in. People are doing things they're not used to doing. We have like reference people mm-hmm. shelving. We have circ people answering questions. And But you know what? We're all just trying to make this thing work. So this is Kintsugi in action. And also, I'm just going to plug a Death Cab for Cutie album called Kintsugi, <laughs> which was named after the, one of the founding members, Chris Walla, left the band. And then uh, that in the last album they did was called Kintsugi because oh. it was the idea that they're broken, but they can still be beautiful. Uh-huh. Kintsugi. Hmm. Wow. Very well done. I've always liked that concept because I, too, believe in uh, flaws having beauty. Yeah. And uh, I like the fact that it's, you know, it's broken, but you don't hide the fact that you've put it together again. You leave it there, leave it visible so that you know it was broken, but it's together now and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Isn't there a thing about it being stronger, too, where I was broken? Mm. Like, I literally, like, I broke my arm when I was a kid. And where it was broken is now the strongest part of my arm because <laughs> yeah. of the way it healed, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll go next. Sure. So Tales of the City featured a lot of action around relationships and dating, and it brought to mind my nerd word for this month, satisficing. <laughs> to use the definition in the Wikipedia article, uh, satisficing is a decision-making strategy or cognitive heuristic that entails searching through the available alternatives until an acceptability threshold is met. <laughs> It's a portmanteau of satisfy and suffice. I first came across this term back in one of my classes at the Faculty of Management at U of M several decades ago. A lot of the decision-making frameworks we were taught involved trying to optimize things, which usually meant finding the result that gave you maximum profit or minimum costs. Optimizing can be a real challenge in a world where we don't always know all the alternatives, and it's difficult to calculate all of the costs and all of the gains. So enter satisficing. Instead of looking through every available option and picking the optimal one, you look through options until you find something that is good enough. The main rationale behind the strategy is that sometimes the costs of finding an optimal solution are too high. It will just take too long to find the optimal solution for it to be useful, for example, or the costs of evaluating each option are really high. When you satisfice, you arrive at a decision more quickly so you can get on with the other things you have to do. It might not be perfect, but it's effective. One area where satisficing comes into play for many people is in finding a partner. (laughs) For people who want a partner for a long-term relationship, it can be hard to know exactly what to look for. People have flaws and failings, some of which are no big deal and some of which are deal breakers, and you don't always spot the deal breakers until significant time has passed. (laughs) Or you're already married. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. If you want to optimize for the best partner, you have to date a very large number of candidates for a significant period of time to make sure you found the best one. Sounds exhausting. Yeah. (laughs) You might never meet the best one. It's a big world. And unless the best one is literally the last one you dated, they might not be willing to get back into a relationship with you if you'd already dumped them because you wanted to be sure there wasn't someone better out there. Satisficing tends to be closer to what most people actually do when looking for a partner. Find someone who's good enough to be happy with and stop pining away for that supposedly perfect partner who may or may not be out there. But just to be clear, this doesn't mean you should settle for a partner who doesn't treat you well because, you know, you want to make sure that you can be happy with your choice. 
don't accept poor treatment because you deserve better. Satisficing. I love that. That reminds me of a quote from uh, Carl Reiner when he, because he's been married many, many years very happily. And they asked, What was the secret? He says, Secret is you find somebody, you don't have to love them, you just have to like them. Yeah. Friends, right? (laughs) But it's, um, and it was funny that, that, that your description went there, Dennis, because I was thinking that it's perfectly uh, the difference between satisficing and optimizing is like a point is I, I had no idea there was a word for it, a point of contention between me and my husband because I over research things and if we think like he thinks that we've made a decision about like something to purchase or something like that. And then the next day I'll be like, okay, but what about this? Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I need to know that what we're doing is like going to be the right thing to do. And he's like, but we already decided. Yeah. So he's just like, let's just move on with our lives. Yeah. There's so many other yeah. things we could be There's talking another about. decision to so be made. <laughs> that's a, uh, a push and pull in our relationship already. Mm-hmm. So anyway, should I go? Well, m- mine is a word that I hate. <laughs> So it just depends if you want to end on a, like, Erica's being driven crazy by a word again, or if you want to end on your... You go ahead. Okay. okay. <laughs> so every once in a while, I'm going to do this, and, like, okay, I get it, but my word is unprecedented. Unprecedented has been driving me crazy because it is absolutely everywhere, mm-hmm. and, all, like, and all of a sudden, and so, so Cambridge says... Cambridge Dictionary says unprecedented means never having happened or existed in the past. So to me, it's one of those ambiguous words like incomparable. And I think that maybe people aren't quite using it the way that they mean it. Like, in, like there's an ad for incomparable pizza. And it drives me crazy because that is like, does that mean it's good or bad? <laughs> right? It could be incomparably terrible. I'm not sure what they're trying to say by incomparable. Just like I'm not sure, always sure what you mean yeah. by unprecedented. Is, is there a crust? Is there sauce? <laughs> yeah, then you can compare it. It's, yeah. Yeah. Like, and same thing. It's like, like there's lots of things that are unprecedented. Like, yes, we are living through unprecedented times, mm-hmm. whatever that means. But that's pretty much true of every time because things are constantly changing and constantly new, um, especially with our like unbelievable speed of technological advancements and stuff like that. So in that way, it kind of is one of those meaningless words like that other one that drives me crazy that I, that we talk about sometimes, but it's also, and, but it's, it's also being used in ways that are kind of vague in what it's meaning, but it's also carrying all kinds of other connotations. Like sometimes people mean, use it to mean this is also new right? Like everybody's trying to work from home or go to school at home. And sometimes they're trying to say, it's very uncertain. Like we don't know how to be safe. We don't know how to go about our daily lives anymore. And sometimes they mean they have no idea what's happening even or how to react or feel to it. And so they're grabbing onto this word unprecedented, which I feel is not really up to the task Mm -hmm. of what people are trying to say or convey. Yeah. So whichever way they mean it, unprecedented seems to be the word that many people are grabbing onto and clinging onto for, as it were, dear life, if you'll excuse the expression. (laughs) (laughs) Unprecedented. I could be very happy not to hear that anymore. (laughs) Kind of agree. I think I was saying that even like two months ago. Yes. Stop with unprecedented. There must be another word. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel that was an unprecedented nerd word. (laughs) (laughs) Never been done before. Never Never been done before. <laughs> Breathe. Mm. That's good advice for me at this very moment. Mm, that's I got my all worked up word. about unprecedented. Okay. <laughs> Breathe. To take in 
air into the lungs and then expel it, especially as a regular physiological process. To be alive, remain living, to pause and rest before continuing, to feel free of restraint, like having room to breathe. Hmm. So my son Isaac is working from home and he's a writer and he has two sticky notes taped on the window uh, just above his computer where he works. And the one, one says, drink water. <laughs> and one says, breathe. And it seems weird to, we have to remind ourselves to just breathe. And I'm reminding myself of that a lot lately. I am reminding friends and family members to just breathe. Over the last while, I've been doing a lot of kind of mindfulness work and meditation. And John Kabat-Zinn um, has some tips about that. And and one is to trust, to trust the natural wisdom of the body, um, that our body supports life. And so we can trust that our breath to breathe will take care of itself. Um, we trust that the breath comes in and the breath goes out. And then we can also then remember that we, our body, we are trustworthy and not just that, but our mind and heart are, are to be trusted as well. And, and then this also relates to sort of another issue that I am really working hard on. And that's about the idea of letting go. Um, to be and just let things be as they are. And, and he uses this really good example of when you breathe, every time you take a breath, you have to also let it go in order to take in that next breath. And it's a natural part of life to receive and then release. So breathe. I'm super relaxed right now. I mean, I'm super emotional right now. <laughs> like we're all together again yeah. and we're talking about our feelings and it's just like, oh, oh my gosh. <sighs> okay. Well, so with that, that, uh, that ends this, uh, this episode of, Greek therapy. uh, of time to read your, uh, your monthly, um, therapy and, uh, podcast book club. Uh, <laughs> Our next book is Charcoal Joe by Walter Mosley. Uh, so keep an eye on our social media, um, Instagram and our Facebook group where we will post questions about the book about a week or so before we record. And we definitely want to hear from you. We want your opinions so that we can talk about them. You can also get in on the conversation by emailing us at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca. And if you have any books that you would like to recommend, we'd love to, to know those as well. We would also love it if you'd hit subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast service. And please tell all your friends and families um, about us as well. And I think I'll just mention this again. Please check out our Winnipeg Public Library YouTube channel um, because we also exist there. And there are so many other fabulous things that Winnipeg Public Library staff have been uploading to that YouTube channel, including book recommendations, gardening videos, stories, deep dives into some of our databases as well. So until next time, make sure you find Time, time to Read. read. All I need is time to read. All I need is time to 
Dennis and I listening. were just having a separate oh, conversation about, <laughs> really about men, about men stuff. <laughs> yeah, about Walter Mosley. Yeah, and like hard-boiled detective stuff that men like to talk about. Yeah. Drywall and beer and <laughs> yeah, Walter Mosley. Yeah, we started talking about drywall and barbecuing. <laughs> you remember years ago, many many years ago, there was a tampon commercial. I think it was, and they said, "Man, we're going to be talking about some lady stuff." So here's something for you to watch. And in the bottom corner, there was like a football game. Oh my and, god! And what's hilarious is it always worked on me because I didn't know what the subject of the commercial was for years because. And I was trying to, I was like, no, no, this time I'm going to watch the commercial because they're distracting me and I don't like it. And then, but, but the thing is the football game had like a touchdown throw oh, so in it. And every time excited. that happened, I'm like, what, what? Yeah, what did I miss? And I'm watching it. It's like, I've seen this 50 times, right? But I, I felt, I felt like such a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> Dog, totally manipulated. Oh, you're a man. I'm not even a big sports fan. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't watch say. football. It's primal. Yeah. It's, it's a primal. It's like Charlie Brown. You see, one of these times the guy's not going to make the catch. And you want to make sure you see it. 